This morning we're looking at Luke 11, 1 through 13. Luke 11, 1 through 13. You'll find it on the screen behind me and screen in front of you. If you've got it with you, follow along that way. Um, before we read, let's pray. God, we're grateful for, for this book, for this, for this word. And uh, as we open it, as we think about it, as we, as we ponder, we trust, Spirit, that you are here. Um, and we, we trust that you'll do whatever it is you need to do in us to... Uh, to make us more like you, Jesus. Amen. So one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up, get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those? who ask him, who will go that far. So the Lord's Prayer. I've done, I've done a whole four-part series on it. I've done, um, I've done this thing where, where, we, where we talk a little bit about prayer and then, and then uh, we talk about the two the parables. Uh, so this morning... Um, in the four-part series, we kind of broke it down one, one by one and kind of went line by line and went through it. So this time, uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of condense that and do it, do it a little quickly. But first, I need to tell you about this guy named uh, Godric. Uh, Godric was an English hermit who turned into a, a Christian monk who lived uh, at the beginning of the second millennium, right? So he died in May of 1170, right? There's this other guy named Frederick Beekner, who's a fantastic, wonderful author. Um, he's written several books, but 
he wrote a historical fiction novel uh, about the life of this old Christian hermit named uh, Godric. The title of the book is called Godric. It's one of my favorite novels. It was nominated for a, a Pulitzer a surprise, a Pulitzer surprise. No, a Pulitzer Prize. If he had won it, it would have been a surprise, but it didn't, it didn't win, but it was nominated for it. So I think I, I should say it like this. It is my favorite novel ever. It's beautiful. In it, old St. Godric asks a question. And at this point in his life, his life had been so tragic. Uh, he had met disaster after disaster. Poor guy just kept getting knocked down and knocked down over and over again. And at this point in the novel, he asks himself a question, what is prayer? And then he answers it. And I'm going to give you his answer to the question, what is prayer? And uh, I will also say this is probably my, this is my favorite quote of any novel I've ever read because it's so beautiful and it's raw and it's honest. And I think I, I identify with it a little bit. So he asks the question, what is prayer? And here's how he answers it. It's shooting shafts into the dark. What mark they strike, if any, who's to say? It's reaching for a hand you cannot touch. The silence is so fathomless that prayers like plummets vanish in the sea. You beg, you whimper, you load God down with empty praise. You tell him sins that he already knows full well. You seek to change his changeless will. Yet, Godric prays the way he breathes, for else his heart would wither in his breast. Prayer is the wind that fills his sail, else waves would dash him on the rocks, or he would drift with witless tides. And sometimes, by God's grace, a prayer is heard. It's shooting shafts into the dark. What mark they strike, if any, who's to say? It's reaching for a hand you cannot touch. That's how old Saint Godric may have answered the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? How would you answer that question? How would you define prayer? Like, what would you say? Maybe, maybe the first thing that comes to mind for you is what we all, if we grew up in the church, we were taught when we were probably this big, um, that prayer is a conversation with God. How many of us have learned that lesson? Prayer is a conversation with God. That is a good definition for sure, I think. Maybe even the best definition, who, who am I to say? But if prayer is a conversation with God, if you're anything like me, most of the time it seems to be a pretty one-sided conversation, doesn't it? It's shooting shafts into the dark. What mark they strike, if any, who's to say? Maybe prayer is kind of like a satellite uplink where information is uploaded and downloaded. It's like this conduit between us and God. And through that uplink, we praise, we thank, we cry, we ask, along with all sorts of other things. Maybe it's like that. Like over thousands of years, millions of people have come up with different definitions of prayer. And we could talk about all those definitions if we want to, but 
In my experience, not one definition sort of um, captures what happens in prayer. Uh, not one definite. Maybe if we grabbed all the definitions throughout all the different centuries from all the different millions of people, we sort of wrapped them up into a ball and we put them on the table. Maybe that would be, maybe that would be an adequate definition of what prayer is, because prayer is kind of hard to define, right? So the disciples find themselves watching Jesus pray, and it's almost as if they're noticing that prayer is the wind that fills his sails, right? And maybe they too are kind of having a hard time coming up with a definition of prayer, and maybe they're thinking to themselves, why are we trying to define it anyway? So they walk up to Jesus and they ask him, Jesus, will you just teach us how to pray? And then Jesus simply answers, okay, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Simple. Eloquent. Beautiful. We know it is the shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. The longer version is found in Matthew. And if you grew up in the church, you, it's prob you probably learned this prayer when you were little. Some of us know that prayer so well, we can just pray it without thinking about it. It's like we can walk through that prayer on autopilot. The words just come out of our mouths because we know it so well. We do lots of things like that, lots of things automatically, without giving a thought to what it is we're doing or saying. And some of these things we learned, again, when we were little, and our bodies just kind of seem to do them, like tying your shoes or riding a bike. Do we think about either of those things? No, we just do them automatically. Other automatics or habits that that we formed are so deep, we hardly know we're doing them. Like brushing your teeth. Do you think about how to brush your teeth? No, you just do it. Putting on your seat belt, you just get in and you put it on automatically. Some things are fine like that. Like we can do them on auto autopilot and it's fine. Other things are better when we think about what we're doing. Other things are better when we actually think about what we're saying. For instance, I guarantee you that Renee and my boys uh, know the difference between these two, can feel the difference between these two scenarios. There's the quick, I love you, as I walk out the door and get in the van and head off to work. And then there's the other situation where I stop. I look each of them in the eye and I say, I love you. I'll see you when I get home. And I give them a hug and I leave. There's a difference there. So when Jesus gave his disciples this prayer, I don't think he meant for it to become something we just do on autopilot, something we memorize and say over and over again, just to sort of make ourselves feel better or feel good. It's less of a prayer to be memorized and said word for word, and more of an example that probably ought to inform all of our prayers every single one of them. I think Jesus gave us this prayer to keep us alive, to keep us alert. So we're going we're gonna to talk about two things this morning. And these things are not my things. These things come from a guy named Eugene Peterson. I expand quite a bit on them, but these are his ideas. 
This prayer is a prayer that if we let it, will give us a center, a center out of which everything else in life flows. This prayer, if we let it, will form us into people who look and act and live and love more like Jesus. I'll say that again. This is a prayer that if we let it, will give us a center and it will form us into people who live and act and love more like Jesus. This is our prayer. Jesus entrusted it to us, gave it to us. Again, many people have said this, this is not my idea, but maybe we should stop calling it the Lord's Prayer and we should start calling it the Disciples' Prayer because this is our prayer and it can be neatly divided into two different parts. The first part is all about God's name, Father. Hallowed be your name. And it's about God's reign. Your kingdom come. This is the part of the prayer that if we let it, will give us a center. Right? Part two is all about things that are for us. Give us, forgive us, lead us. This is the part of the prayer that will form us into people who look and act and live and love more like Jesus. So this prayer is about center and formation. First one. This prayer gives us a center. We start with God, Father, whose name is holy, whose being is like none other. We start with God's reign. This is God's world. We just sang it. This is God's world. God is the king. God is the ruler. God is the one in charge here, not us. Sometimes we need to remember that. So this part of the prayer gives us the place where everything else in life flows. There are two other scriptures that kind of play with this idea, and often I'll use them as I pray our prayer in the middle of worship. Right? God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Oh, Jesus is the one in whom all things hold together. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a spider's web. So I'd like you, if you would, to just close your eyes, and I want you to imagine a spider's web. If you have to imagine Charlotte's web, that's cool. Any spider's web, imagine the spider's web. Like it's a beautiful thing. It's a strong thing. Look at it carefully in your mind. Notice how everything, even the anchors, on the outside, everything is ultimately connected to the center of that web. See it. Without that center holding everything else together, the thing would at best just flop around in a breeze or at worst be completely torn apart by the wind. The center is the thing that makes it strong, holds all of it together. So when we pray, Father, hallowed be your name. We are reminded that we belong to a perfectly loving God. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are reminded of the purpose of our lives. When we pray like this, we are reminded that our puny, small, seemingly little, insignificant lives are extremely important to the divine. 
because we are part of a much bigger enterprise, joining in on what God is doing in the world. When we pray like this, we're able to to sort of lift our eyes off of what it is that we would like to do, and we're able to see what God is doing in the world. We're able to see the, the kingdom of God breaking in all around us. That's what we're praying for, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking for perfect, pristine, life-giving heaven to break into our dusty, filthy, death-filled world. That's what we want. That's what we're after. So this sort of a prayer gives us a center. So if you're a teacher, think of it like this. If you're a teacher and you have a center, you go to school and teach, not primarily because you love to teach or you're really good at it, although that is part of it. No, you go to school and teach because you see the face of Jesus in all of those kids. And you know that the work you're doing is helping to to form them into people that will eventually begin to make the world a better place, your kingdom come. So my work as a pastor, um, not to whine, it can be kind of tedious sometimes. So I do do a lot of reading. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of studying. uh, I do a lot of emailing, a lot of emailing. I take phone calls. I make phone calls. I meet with people in coffee shops, which is fantastic. By the way, that's part of what I, I get to do. So no complaints here. But just like your jobs, my job at some point can get tedious, right? It can, it can, you know, it can suck the life out of you, which is, which is okay, right? It has the ability to wear me down, right? Just like all of your jobs. But if I'm centered, right? if I'm centered, I understand that I'm not just doing that work for the sake of doing that work just because I'm, I'm paid to do it. No, I'm part of something much, much bigger than that. I'm working with, alongside, and for all of you, a bunch of really great, amazing, wonderful people, and I'm working with you and with God so that this whole community can become something greater than herself, right? I'm working toward transformation so that this entire church community can be involved with God transforming the world. That's what's going on here. It's a greater vision, a greater reality. All of the tedious things, the reading, the writing, the studying, the calling, the planning, the the meeting, the leading, all of that stuff is part of something much, much, much greater. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this prayer sort of gives us a place out of which everything else in life flows. It gives us a center. It helps us see how whatever it is we do with most of our time fits in with what God is up to in the world. It's bigger. Okay, so far, so good. But here's where the disciples' prayer can get. It can get a little rough if we let it. This is where the prayer can sort of tweak us uh, in ways that might that might be a little bit uncomfortable. This is the part of the prayer that will form us into people who look and act and live and love more like Jesus. And I don't think, 
Or I like to think of this part of the prayer as practicing for life lived where we live most of our lives, right? It's kind of like a basketball player shooting free throws, right? Before you shoot them in a game, you shoot thousands upon thousands of them in practice. And if you practice well, you're sort of envisioning the game. You see it, you smell it, you taste it, you hear it, you feel it. And if you practice well, you're not shooting free throws in a gym all alone, even if you're in a gym all alone. Because in your mind, you enter a completely different reality, a reality with opponents, screaming fans, and all kinds of pressure. Then, when game time comes, you use the same rhythm you use in practice. The same cadence goes through your brain. Dribble, 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 bounce, bounce, shoot. It's the same thing. Your body knows how to act before it's time to act. So when it's time to act, you know how to do it. So that's what this prayer does for us. That's the kind of effect it can have on us Again, if we let it, if we're not just saying it, if we're thinking about what it is we're praying when we pray it, this is the prayer, the part of the prayer that will form us, change us, transform us, make us ready for participation in the kingdom of God. So let's take them one by one. You're like, wow, one by one. How much time we got left? We'll go quick. Give us each day our daily bread. And for most of us, this is easy, right? We know where our bread comes from. And most of us have enough bread to, in our house to at least last us a week, maybe even two or three, because we got the freezer in the bank in the basement and it's filled and half the stuff are like, what's in there anymore, right? This is the basic stuff of life, right? But when we look up after praying this prayer, give us each day our daily bread, the basic stuff of life. When we look up after praying this prayer, we notice that there are some people in this world who don't have the basic stuff of life, who don't have what we have. We notice that something like 50% of our elementary schools of the 50% of the children in our elementary schools are on free and reduced hot lunch. And we know that that's a, an indication of a good amount of poverty in our own community. We look up and we notice that there are a significant group of people in this city that don't have a place to lay their head at night. They're homeless. So we've partnered with the Bridge Home on occasion. We support them financially. We, see, here's the deal. We cannot pray this prayer with any integrity and notice things like that out in the world and then do nothing about it, right? So that's why we help. This prayer has the ability to, to push us into action and we are formed into people who look and act and live and love more like Jesus. We ask God to provide the daily stuff for us. We notice that people out there don't have the daily stuff. It pushes us to action. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive 
everyone who sins against us. So once we encounter God and have that center, then we can look out at the rest of our lives and we notice places that are sort of out of alignment and we ask God to straighten them out and that stinks. That's hard. That hurts. But once we've experienced that forgiveness, that grace, we are able then to walk out onto the streets where we live and extend that forgiveness, that grace to those who break their relationships with us. It literally transforms us into people who are more loving and gracious and kind and patient. And that's hard too, but it's a good kind of hurt formed into people who look more like Jesus. Lead us not into temptation. So as we pray this prayer, if we're paying attention to what we're praying, we are reminded of all the things in this world that draw us away from the divine. We are reminded of all the things in this world that draw us away from God. Right? Things like, I don't know, petty arguments, selfishness, lust, a hot temper, a mean spirit, this propensity to, to cut people off who just don't agree with us or see things the way we do. So we can walk out into this, into this world, onto the streets where we live, and we can do our best to walk away from those things, to turn away from those temptations formed into people who look and act and live and love more like Jesus. So this prayer gives us a center. It forms us. Right? And maybe this prayer, maybe it's not meant to be memorized and said. Maybe, maybe it should be a template for our prayers. And so we can walk through it slowly and expand upon each part. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And think about all the ways in which God has been loving and gracious to you and for you. We think about creation in this big, wide, abundant world, and we're blown away. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We ask God to make this world exactly the way God intended this world to be and imagine ways in which we can participate. Forgive us our sins. Oh my goodness, our sins. There's a list there. We walk through those, and it's, it can form us. Maybe it's meant to be prayed slowly deliberately with thought. What is prayer? What is it? I don't know. I don't have a definition for you. I can't define it. Jesus didn't define it, but he taught us how to do it. And if we're really paying attention to our prayers, it can give us a center and form us into people who look and act and live and love more like Jesus. So let's pray it together. I thought about having it put up on the screen, but here's the thing. Sometimes when we just put words on the screen and we read them together, sometimes it can feel weird, and sometimes it can feel like we're just doing it rote. It's like da, 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 da. So I didn't want to do that. So here's what we're going to do. If you know the prayer, I want you to pray the prayer out loud. If you don't know the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, I invite you to close your eyes and just listen. And here's another confusing thing. I want you to pray the prayer how you know the prayer. So there are all sorts of different ways. Debts, debtors, 
right? Transgressions, those who have, is that what it is? That one, what is it? Yeah, do that one if you want to do that one. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it the old school way because I'm 46 and I'm realizing that I'm old now and I just learned it that way and that's the way I'm going to carry it to my grave and that's fine. So you pray the prayer however you learned how to pray the prayer. I'll do it the way I learned how to pray the prayer and it will be a grand old time. Does that sound good? I can't wait. I hope I remember it now. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Come on, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom in the power, in the glory. Amen. That's pretty good. Let's stand together.